So today we have an amazing guest with us. We have Kevin Kelly. And uh, Kevin probably doesn't need much of an introduction, but I'll do a short one anyway. Kevin was the founding executive editor of a Wired magazine, which was uh, started back in 1993. And uh, Kevin is also a wonderful tech author. He's written books such as New Rules for the New Economy and What Technology Wants. And so today we're going to focus on Kevin's new book, The, the Inevitable. And it's about trends over the next 20 years that will shape our lives. So there's so much to this book, and we only have about 25 or 30 minutes. Um, so we'll let Kevin provide a, a broad overview and then take a deeper dive into some issues that I'm curious about and uh, talk more about those. So I, I, I love books that make me think of new ideas or think of uh, technology or life in a new way. And this book um, does that, and it's, it's pretty amazing. So after reading it, I had lots of different ideas. So I'm honored that Kevin's on our show, and... Uh, Excited to talk more. So, Kevin, thanks for joining us today. It's always my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And uh, so, can you just give a a brief uh, overview? What's what's the book about? The book is describing the next twenty five to thirty years of the evolution of digital media, and I focus mostly on digital stuff rather than say other kinds of technologies like biotech or in energy, uh, because I think that is uh, well, uh, what most people are familiar with and will um, be encountered the most often. And in general, I'm uh, looking at the large-scale trends rather than the specifics. The you know the products. I'm looking at the uh, the forces that are at work behind the specifics. And what what prompted you to write the book, or why did you write the book? I think there's a lot of fear of what's coming, and a lot of what is coming is kind of scary from, you know, pervasive artificial intelligence to uh, ubiquitous tracking and surveillance to um, uh, screens everywhere which are fluid and ever-changing and constant upgrades and the shift from owning things to accessing things. All these things are... uh, can be worrisome, and I think um, there's also a natural tendency to want to maybe slow them down, or in some cases, people are interested in, in prohibiting them or stopping them. And I'm suggesting that, in fact, we need to embrace them and engage this technology as a way of steering it and making it more civilized. And uh, so I think these trends all are, at the scale I'm talking about, inevitable. But I think the um, the way that they're expressed is not inevitable, and we have a choice and that make a huge difference. But so I want us to embrace the large-scale trends so that we can um, decide the particulars. Well, now I like I like that when you say embrace these new technologies. And and do you have do you have an example of you know let's say we didn't embrace certain technologies, what could happen versus embracing them now and you know, maybe making certain guidelines or developing... Sure, sure. So, I mean, a great example of of, an illustration of something in the recent past, which is that the... um, having revolving around this trend, this this, this bias, and and a bias is a good way to think of it. There's a bias in the technological systems that we make that they tend to want to lean in certain directions. And that uh, one of those biases leans towards... Uh, it wants to copy 
things. And so the, the internet, the world's largest copy machine, and if anything touches the internet, it will will be copied, whether it's a movie, music, book, or or, or anything, a drug. If it, if it touches the internet, it's going to be copied indiscriminately, ubiquitously. And um, for many years, the music industry, for decades, the music industry uh, fought against this. They 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 try to outlaw the the copying. They try to copy protection, prohibit easy copying. They wrote laws suing their, their their best customers in some cases to try to prevent them from copying. And so they did everything they could to work against this grain, this natural bias in the technology towards ubiquitous copies. And they're now only slowly, after three decades, coming around to the mm-hmm. idea that they have to accept the fact that Ubiquitous copies are the they're going to be the norm. If they had done that three decades ago, they would have been much further ahead. They would have been much richer. They would have had um, a better grasp, a better industry, and they could have exploited more of its benefits. And so I'm suggesting that a lot of the trends that I'm talking about are kind of similar to that. There's they're baked into the very um, nature, the very physics of the technology, and they come out of the fact that th- th- these systems are leaning in those directions. Huh. Yeah, can you imagine where the music industry would be now if they would have embraced it that long ago? Oh, man. Exactly, right. That's the whole thing. If they had, instead of trying to kill Napster, if they had tried to work with Napster, which they eventually kind of have to do, they, you know, they started working eventually with some of the file sharing companies. Of course, now they have to work with the streaming companies, and but under different terms, they could have had better terms before. Yeah, yeah, better terms and just kind of own their future a little bit more. Um, right. So I, I really like how you structured the book. It was smart how you broke it into twelve chapters, or what you call tech forces, like a tech one tech force. The first one is Cognify, or this flowing and questioning. Um, how did you come up with those ideas, or come up with those titles for each chapter? Because um, it's a lot. Yeah, to, yeah. I think. Um... I think the idea was was they're, they're all verbs. They're actually not. They're called gerunds. They're continuous action. And um, part of the message of the book is is the general shift from nouns to verbs, from things that are static and fixed to this things that are constantly in flux. And so it reflects a little bit about the the the, the subtext of the book, which is this embrace of processes over products. And the second thing is that they um, they sort of umbrella terms that capture uh, many other specific trends. And so they they make for a convenient convenient grouping. There's really, uh, there's nothing I would say inevitable about the, about the, the groups. Um, they're more useful and handy than anything else. That makes sense. And uh, my, I think my my favorite chapter is probably the first one, the Cognify, you know, about artificial intelligence. Uh, could you just give a, a brief overview on that chapter for the, the audience? Yeah, I think um, I agree. Not just my favorite, but I think it's the probably the most potent yeah, force um, at work at large today, and I think the effects of 
of this will be will, will exceed the industrial revolution. The industrial revolution, which produced the you know, the kind of prosperity that we're now enjoying, the cities that we you know see, everything that's not a farm basically was produced by the industrial revolution, and that came about because we invented artificial power. We could make instead of relying on human muscle and animal muscle to accomplish anything we wanted to do, we actually made machines that were artificially powered, or maybe properly say machines that could employ artificial power. And um, that artificial power, um, you know, enabled us to say, could harness 250 horses, put them under our hood and drive down the highway. And, um, at, you know, at the command, it's for very little money. And so, uh, this artificial power, you know, made factories and automation possible. And as I said, it, it produced this tremendous flowering of, um, of prosperity for several hundred years. Well, and one of the things that they did include, by the way, was that they, um, distributed a lot of this artificial power on electrical, made a grid, brought it to every home so we could have kind of a very convenient artificial power that all we had to do was turn a switch and we had it or plug something in and we had it. And we weren't generating the artificial power, you were just purchasing it and then using it in any way you wanted, applying it to a motor or whatever. And now we're going to do basically the same thing with artificial minds. With, with artificial smartness. And so instead of having, in addition to having 250 horses under your hood, you can also have 250 mines. Hmm. And we call that, you know, the smart car, or the auto, the auto driven self driving car, the AI car. And um, again, we're, we're not going to, we're just going to buy this AI um, over over the cloud, over the grid, and apply it to everything that we have uh, electrified. We're now going to cognify, make smarter, and apply this cheap industrial grade thinking, thought, mind, smartness. Smartness is maybe the best word. We're going to apply it to that thing that we already have electrified, and that's a huge thing because. I think my it's really good to have artificial power. We still need it. It's not going to go away. But then we take we add the artificial smartness to artificial power, and we have something really potent at loose in the world that will really change everything we did. Just just as the first industrial revolution affected education, entertainment, food, sports, the military, so will AI. So will this artificial smartness. And I remember, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but there's one part of the book in that in that the chapter where he said that the next uh, 10,000 startups will be take X and add AI. <laughs> and uh, exactly you, right. I think that's a one easy way to kind of summarize it. And, and that that if you want the formula for something to do now, find something, anything. The more obscure, the better. The more unlikely, <laughs> the better. You know, knitting, you know, transportation, sports, uh, and then take that X, that unknown, and then add AI to it. Um, just as we took the X and added electricity to it, now we're going to take the X and added AI 
to it. Um, and, and also, it, it, you can also do the reverse, so to speak. You can take the AI and add X. If, if AI becomes a commodity, like I'm suggesting, then many businesses and artists will, will have to distinguish themselves by what they do with the commoditized AI. If, if everybody has access to it, then those who offer a better X, a better interface to it, or a better story about it, or a better guide to it, whatever, that's also really valuable. So both of those formulations work. Take X and add AI, or take AI and add X. Hmm. That makes sense. And yeah, that was kind of one of my questions going through this was, uh, you, you mentioned that success will go to those who optimize the process of uh, working with bots and machines. And I was curious, like, would it just be AI researchers, but you know, your of course your suggestion is more that the AI will be available almost as a utility that you can add it, um, mm -hmm. which which makes sense. Okay. Um, and then another uh, another question. I thought this was a clever idea, so I was curious where you got it. On the under the flowing chapter, you uh, you talk about uh, movies and mashing up movies and how you know eventually movies could uh, well. Maybe you could expand on the, your concept of the movie and kind of be able to splice it up and have a um, edit it. The masses could essentially edit movies. Um, you know, part yeah, I mean, about, I, the, yeah. the way I the way I might explain that is, you know, uh, there was sort of a whole suite of inventions that came along with the invention of, of say, the book and text. It wasn't just the alphabet. There was a many other inventions that made it really very central to our lives. And there were things like, well, if you had many pages and you had a book, then you'd want to have um, a table of contents that would guide you to different parts of the book. Like, you know, the in, the, the also maybe in the back you have an index that would kind of link back to each, each uh, uh, special word in the book. Or you might have um, footnotes. Which are the, which is somebody invented in the 14th century that could give uh, it's like a hyperlink, or you could uh, you might need um, uh, page numbers. So all these things had to be invented, and they were all parts of what I would call the kind of Gutenberg revolution in the sense that they they made text, particularly big libraries of text, more and more useful, and. Uh, we don't have that right now. I mean, I, and one of the other things that Texas has, has a summary and the abstract and all these things. And we don't have a lot of these tools for moving images. And even though like video clips and movies and TV and GIFs and all this stuff are, are, are now much more at the center of our culture, we don't have all these Gutenberg tools of being able to summarize or abstract or hyperlink footnote to within a frame to um, point to something that's sustainable over time. I mean, there's a whole bunch of very sophisticated tools that we can do with text that we can't do with um, video, let's say. But um, when we can, I think, um, or as we do uh, get these tools, it will, I think, accelerate that shift so that the videos and moving images become the central thing in our culture. They they become the thing that um, 
we all refer to, that we can dive down into, that we use to explain things. It becomes very sophisticated and rich. And, and basically, we network all the books, uh, all, all the movies together into one large, interconnected, hyperlinked, footnoted, annotated thing. And so um, uh, that's coming. And I think AI will have a big hand in being able to that to do that. So so uh, the only way to kind of like find every scene in any movie that has a rabbit in it, you, you could do the search for any text that had the word rabbit, but you can't do the search for all movies that might have a rabbit in it. But you will. And 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 the way we get there is having AI basically go through all these things and look for them and that's coming very very fast and and you even talked about how a movie could be split up into like sounds and uh, all the different special effects and then people like could take a Hollywood movie and make it for a kid friendly or um... right so so that's the other that's another verb in my chapters of remixing which is the idea that one of the kind of chief benefits of the digital world was that all the parts were fungible and 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 they could be what we would what we now call unbundled you, they could be taken apart into their disassembled into their parts very easily and um we saw a little bit of that evidence in what happened with songs in the sense that we used to get in the only way the major way to buy songs the only way you usually heard them was as part of an album. So that was the unit, was a, was a music album. And um, if you wanted to buy uh, music, that's you got the whole album, you got all these songs. And so the first thing that happened was, you know, iTunes came along and said, well, we're going to unbundle the uh, uh, album. We're going to disassemble the album into just this parts of just songs. And so you could, if you want to, just buy one song. Well, that was the beginning, but then, you, as you as we know, songs have tracks, and um, if you listen to a little podcast called Song Exploder, you can hear how um, all the different tracks in a particular, say, popular song have been assembled, and Song Exploder is kind of, you know, disassembling that song into all the tracks, but that will become much more common where, where, where people will have access to the different tracks deliberately. And you can do things with the different tracks in a song. And if not the beyond the tracks, maybe, well, the notes or the melodies or the chords. So there's ways in which these are assembled that way right now, and they can be deassembled in the same way, because being able to deassemble them will be value. And it's one of the things, actually, that music companies will sell. Rather than the song itself, they'll sell the components the, or the ability to unbundle it and do stuff with it, remix it. And some, not every artist will do that, but but that will be uh, that will be a viable thing for some artists. And you, if you can unbundle it, you also have the ability that, to personalize it, so you can rebalance the uh, the audio in it so that it, it's perfectly tuned to the acoustics of your living room. And you would be willing to pay for that, even though the song is sort of free. You're really paying for this remixed version, personally remixed version that, that is working with the elements. And I think that's a lot of what's going to happen with movies 
as well, which is that um, uh, you know, the, the parts of them will be available in many cases for us to remix or, or rebundle or personalize. And that's and, and, and that that's a new power, and that's going to be a, one of the sources of the kind of innovation and wealth that are going to be coming from uh, media built around screen. Yeah, I, I thought that was quite a clever idea. So how did you... Do you remember how you came up or found that idea about kind of unbundling movies and music in that way? Or is it just pattern recognition? Or um, Yeah, so so I was, had been writing about um, people who were kind of working on movies, and uh, actually it was an interview with George Lucas huh. uh, many, many, many years ago when he was rebooting the Star Wars. And um, he was describing how he was making movies, and it occurred to me that he was um, he was he was constructing them from these pieces, um, layers which um, sometimes were found and sometimes were created, uh, and so um, I, I began to get a picture of. Uh, that the way you made a movie was by bundling all these pieces, and if and if they were bundled, they could certainly just be unbundled, um, and and remixed just like music had was had been going in that direction. So it was kind of an extension of well, if music you could do it with music, then why can't you do that with movies, or and eventually with VR? And so um, that, but it, I think the beginning, the genesis, was in some ways. And seeing how um, Lucas was doing this, well, and then of course the, the the more current movies are are extreme versions of that, where there's not really a single frame in, in these action thrillers. There's not a single frame that hasn't been, in some ways, assembled from parts. I like to think of them as almost being um, they're more like painted in the sense of adding layers mm. and layers in the art photographs and um, but they're almost more like what writers do and, and again my analogy is is that writers just take found words words that exist in the dictionary and they recombine them that's all that they do there's they're not really there's very few that make up a new word occasionally they may have a meaning for an old word but by and large, they're taking found existing primitives, we call them words, and they remix and rebundle them. And sometimes they may borrow a, um, a phrase from someone else, either deliberately or inadvertently. And, uh, but most of the time, they're, they are um, trying to make them in kind of in, in new patterns and new orders and new arrangements. And that's the. Um, I think that's what we'll do with cinema as well, or video, and that lots of the things that we start with are not things that we actually generate, but find. There's, 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 you know, um, particularly since these things are kind of computer generated, and there's almost there's sometimes very little difference between the eye can see, the audience can see between something that's been photographed in the physical versus something that's been computed in the imaginary and I think um, uh, we're going we the, the the species but 
film directors in particular will will just reach into this vast library of existing models for a lot of um you know the backgrounds the settings um uh, whatever and they'll be very dynamic they'll you know they won't be this flat they'll be kind of like a vr world that you that you assemble maybe from parts you buy the buildings from here you modify them a little bit you get your mountains over here and they could be you know total recreations of a of, of new york city or sydney australia um and they will look for every purpose to the viewer as if they were filmed in the real location and so you have the ability to tweak them change them um, but you're just finding these things. And so you don't need to have the camera pushing through. You might need actors that you are inserting into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in that sense, the, I mean, there may be a couple hundred movies a year that are not made that way. They're still handcrafted in the old way. But my point about video is that those few hundred handcrafted Hollywood things that are that are done that way are just a tiny, tiny drop in the video bucket and that most video um, is not this handcrafted thing and will rely on a lot more of this uh, uh, remixing of things mm-hmm. in the same way that most authors remix words and don't handcraft new words. You know, if you're your Joyce, you can do that, or Mark Twain, or some other great writer. But most of us, and most of the right written word, is very pedestrian and doesn't isn't trying to invent new things. It's just trying to rearrange the found things. Hmm. Well, somebody should help uh, bring that idea to fruition, or at least a group of people, because it's uh, it'd be an interesting uh, media world if that if that uh, yeah how it pans exactly. out exactly. Um, and I I know we're running out of time. I got a, a couple more questions. One one was uh, under uh, your questioning chapter, and it uh, you you talk about how essentially you change kind of how you do research, or when you have an idea, you used to contemplate more, but now you act. And uh, that was interesting because I I think uh, I have more like that now too. And uh, can you expand a little bit on that, and and why do you think that's the case now that more, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so one of the accusations against kind of the digital book over the paper book is that there's something about paper, um, the, the 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 constraints, the isolation of being in the book that kind of allows you to go very deep and be very contemplative. And I think that's actually a a, a, a good, accurate description. Whereas if you're on reading on the web, you're highly distracted. You kind of flip from one thing to another, and a lot of the critics of reading suggest that that's a bug, that that's a problem, but I think it's actually a highly adaptive feature that our minds sort of work this way because of this onslaught of constant new updated information that we just kind of have to skim over. And I think that um, what it does is kind of it, it changes um, – our approach, particularly when we're new to it. So I have found that um, my first response on hearing things now is to 
engage with the idea, to, to begin to uh, you know, do a search, Google it, uh, look at the, you know, uh, double-check Wikipedia, um, have my own questions, maybe challenge it, what, seeing what I can come up with, seeing what other people think. Maybe you put it, maybe you search Twitter. You begin to, in some ways, engage with the idea so that you're doing something. You're not just sort of sitting back passively. Now, I mean, the best thinkers would read a book very actively, making margins in the notes. But this is sort of applying what they were doing with greater ease and, and more effect, sharing. You might start to share it to see what other people think about it, et cetera. And so there's, 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 there's an extremely kind of active engagement with things that's, I think, part of this um, – Flitting and surfing uh, that we see, it, 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 I see it as actually also including a form of, of engagement with it rather than being passive to it, which I think is a plus and part of the character of this emerging, you know, culture of the screen versus culture of the book. And um, uh, I, I think it's a positive development and. Um, I would expect that kind of a trend to continue as the onslaught of new things continues to accelerate. We're going to probably have to do more of that quick, immediate interaction with an idea to see if we can own it. Interesting. And, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And like I said, I, I never really thought about that's how I work, but <laughs> that is how I work, and it's, I think it's changed over the last uh, 10, 15 years. Um, so the last question I have is uh, around uh, how do you identify trends? So you, you're, you give a lot of uh, – you identify a lot of trends. So how do you identify a trend versus just a fad? Is it kind of a gut feeling? I mean you've seen yeah, a lot of yeah. patterns over the years. Yeah. Right. So, so that's a fair question, and and I think my method is is sort of um, my assumption, my thesis is that that these technological systems have biases and certain tendencies in them, and those tendencies I think can be seen in several different ways. One of the ways that I look is to see um, the ways in which they are abused, misused, not used officially, ways in which they're used um, without permission. Uh, how, how, basically, Bill Gibson has this term, how the street uses technology. Um, rather than how it was designed or where, where, whether how the inventors thought it would be used. And what, what's happening there is, is that um, uh, these street uses in some ways reflecting the bias because uh, the designers are, are you know, trying to steer it some way, but this is kind of like the unsupervised version of the technology. And we're watching where it goes, how people actually use technology versus how they're supposed to use it. So that's one of the evidences is kind of unsupervised uh, advance. The second, the second thing that I that I look to see is um, I call it kind of like listening to technology, which is um, uh, trying trying to to see the ways in which um, 
it goes if there's no money involved. This is not sort of being, uh, what's the word I want to do? Or redirected by money. So, um, are you still there? Yep, yep. No. Okay, so, um, uh, an example would be if, um, what, what people do with it on weekends, what, 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 what they do with it when it's free, um, what they do before it's commercialized. So that's another, that's another piece of evidence that I'm looking for. And so, um, I'm, I'm, I'm also, um, uh, wherever you see kind of simultaneous attention, people, um, things that are happening very fast where more than one person is discovering things. That's also another, um, indication that this is sort of where it wants to, to bend and how people misuse it. How is it used by the underworld? And again, it's more than unsupervised. Uh, versions. So, so that tells me a lot about um, where the technology wants to go, and and particularly like if there are laws applied to it, and and those laws aren't working to change. That again suggests that this is something inherent, inherent bias in the in the technology. And so, I'm I'm using that as a sense of the direction. So my my my, my my inevitable is, is, is the inevitable based on the fact that these are trends and leanings that that happen no matter what the political regime, what the nationality, what the time, that they're inherently baked into the into the bias of the technology that we can kind of see in the ways that I just talked about. So that's what I spend my time trying to do is is to look at um, where these things want to lean, particularly repeatedly, as a suggestion of where they're pointing. Yeah, that's really helpful. And and I know you talked about how, uh, I know we're out of time here, but virtuality, you know, you, you've been experiencing virtuality for many years, but now, you know, finally, you know, there's, there's that, um, the hobbyists, and then like, is the technology ready? And that's another whole uh, podcast, so we'll leave it at that. But that yeah, was, yeah, <laughs> there's a whole thing about timing because, because uh, in general, I'm not talking too much about timing. I'm talking about just general drift and direction. Yeah, yeah. I think I will just close by saying that I think you know the large form genres are inevitable and maybe even predictable in the sense of uh, uh, you know if you could do biology on a planet you're going to have quadrupeds. So quadrupeds are pretty expected, but the zebra is not. You know, the specific species is unpredictable. And the Internet the internet as a whole is going to be found on any planet that has you know, electricity and communications. They're going to do an Internet. But what kind of Internet is not at all predictable? And Twitter is not inevitable. And so the, 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 the large form character is, and so... Um, the, 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 you know, the telephone was inevitable, but the iPhone was not. So, so we're not trying to predict these very, very specific fashionable, um, products. It's looking at the long-term big mega trends, the drifts that I think are inevitable. And while they are inevitable, the, again, the specific products or instances are not at all predictable and um, we have a lot of choice about them and they make a huge difference to us. So um, we still have a lot of power to, to form our future. Well, and what you do is a great service to all of us trying to see the future and understand how it's going to shape. So 
definitely appreciate your work, and uh, I highly recommend everyone to to read the Inevitable by Kevin Kelly. It's a it's quite good. It makes you think, even if you're not super big into technology. Although I think most of our listeners are, you know, just it tells you what we're all going to be dealing with, and uh, it's an, and it's an exciting future I think that you shape, which is uh, which I love. So definitely appreciate it, Kevin. And I appreciate you uh, coming on the show today. Sure, it was really a real pleasure to be here, as I said, and um, I hope um, that I was able to explain this very complicated book, but I think um, your readers will enjoy it, um, and I, I again appreciate your support in having me. Definitely. All right, thanks, thanks, Kevin, and thanks, everyone, okay. for listening. All right, okay. bye. Bye-bye.